Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, President of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You, and I've got a very important topic today, and we're going to talk about tyranny. And tyranny is an oppressive governmental power. And we're also going to talk about the difference between patriotism and Christian nationalism. And I want to first say that I am a patriot. I've always been a patriot uh, of America. And I'm a citizen of this country. The scriptures call me to pray uh, for the nation. And uh, so I'm a patriot, but I'm not a Christian nationalist. Christian nationalism desires to forcefully legislate morality and forcibly uh, bring America to what the Christian nationalists believe is the roots of uh, American uh, Christianity and make America Christian again. And so Southern Baptists are coming out strong against Christian nationalism. They're saying it is not uh, Christian whatsoever. I I agree with him. Uh, James Robeson recently came out talking about Christian nationalism and opposing Christian nationalism. So Christian nationalism uses Christian rhetoric and symbols, but it is unchristian. And there's a famous quote, and here's what it says. We have met the enemy, and he is us. I'll say it again. We have met the enemy, and he is us. So is it possible that Christians in America could submit to a tyrannical leader, could submit to tyranny, which is giving up their freedoms uh, to uh, autocratic oppressive power? And the answer is yes, it could happen. It's happened uh, across the nations of the world where Christian nationalists, for example, in Germany, gave up their religious freedom, gave up many of their freedoms in order to embrace Nazi ideology. So I want to open the program today by talking about a man named Carl. And Carl was a tall, thin man in his 50s who wore gray pinstripe suits, spoke in a heavy German accent, and bore a California tan that highlighted his perfectly straight white teeth. Carl was an executive for a large company based in the San Francisco Bay Area that employed my mom back in the 1970s. And I visited my mom often when I was a teenager at her office, and I enjoyed talking with Carl about his growing up years in Germany. And I once asked him, you know, this is right 30 years after the the war and the Holocaust. I one time asked Carl, you know, if he served in the German military, to which he responded that he had. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with Carl as he sat behind his mahogany desk, looking regal in his perfectly tailored gray pinstripe suit, I thought to myself, this was no ordinary foot soldier, but an officer with rank and responsibility. I thought to myself, perhaps he was even in the SS. And Carl told me how he was raised in a devout Christian family, and when the National Socialism of the Nazi Party began its ascent, his parents embraced the movement, as did he, even volunteering himself to serve in Hitler's army. He explained how the leaders of his church welcomed the rise of Hitler and willingly traded their religious freedom for Nazi authoritarianism. And the obvious question was why? 
why did he and his fellow Germans embrace Nazi tyranny? And that, that's something, when I, when I was a teenager, I just couldn't understand how Karl, a Christian man, could support the tyranny of the Nazis. And when I asked the question, Karl's face grew sharp and focused. And here's what he said, and I'll never forget this. Have you ever been hungry before, Karl asked. Germany had not yet recovered from the First World War, he said. Our economy was devastated and the nation was suffering. And along came Hitler and the Nazis, who blamed the Jews for ruining our economy. And with the promise of bread and soup, he believed everything they said. But Polish philosopher Leszek Kolaski once said, in politics, being deceived is no excuse. So I realize now that it wasn't Karl's empty stomach that caused him to embrace Nazi ideology, but a barrenness that was much deeper, even more sinister, caused by the gnawing pain of jealousy. Christian nationalists like Karl were not deceived by the promise of soup and bread. It wasn't the Nazis who created a mass following of baptized German Christian nationalists. It was the baptized German Christian nationalists who gave the tyrants life and breath. And you see, when, when we talk about tyranny and democracies have fallen across the world and from generation to generation, they say that the, uh, you know, a democracy will last about 250 years. And we're coming you know, to that mark in the United States. And so uh, it's, it's not the deception of the Nazis of promise of soup and bread it was actually the Christian nationalist that gave the tyrants life and breath. And it was jealousy within German Christians toward their Jewish neighbors that ultimately gave birth to Christian nationalism and Nazi tyranny. In his book, The Holy Reich, Richard Stiegman Gall, a historian, investigates the contents of a weekly religious newspaper known as the Sondagsblatter that was read by millions of German Christians every week. And here's what he says. A survey of 68 Protestant Sondagbladders printed between 1918 and 1933 revealed that Jews and Jewry were themes of great topicality in them. The press's treatment of these themes was almost invariably hostile. These religious weeklies that were devoted to the edification of their readers and to the cultivation of Christian piety preached that the Jews were the natural enemies of the Christian uh, tradition, that they caused the collapse of the Christian and monarchical order, and that they were the authors of a variety of other evils. As well, Catholic publications justified the desire to eliminate the Jewish alien bodies from Germany. Before and during the Nazi period, Catholic publications disseminated the contemporary anti-Semitic litany in ways that were often indistinguishable from the Nazis' ideology. So without the complicity and fervency of nationalistic Christians, Nazi tyranny would have never survived. And after the war was over, a German Protestant theologian, Martin Niemöller, gave a lecture in Zurich. It was in 1946. And here's a portion of Pastor Niemöller's testimony. Christianity in Germany bears a greater responsibility before God than the National Socialists, the SS, and the Gestapo. We ought to have recognized the Lord Jesus in the brother who suffered and was persecuted despite him being a Jew. Are not we Christians much more to blame? Am I not much more guilty 
than many who bathe their hands in blood. And so what happened to the majority of Christians, and yes, there were some that opposed the Nazi regime, regime, but for the majority of Christians in Germany, both Catholic and Protestant, wholeheartedly um, gave birth to the Nazi party. So it wasn't the Nazis that gave birth to Christian nationalists. It was first Christian nationalism that had been sowing the seeds of anti-Semitism within Germany for, for many, many years, and they were hoping for a leader like Hitler that would give them what they wanted. And so basically um, tyranny happens when uh, Christian nationalists uh, Again, historically, it's proven that Christian nationalists have a propensity for producing tyranny, and they believe they have a just cause, and so they promote their what they believe is a just ideology, and that leads to violence. And so the same root of jealousy towards Jews that gave birth to the Holocaust is creating a nationalistic fervor within Christians today right here in America, that is already sowing the seeds of tyranny. Consider the Black Robe Regiment, a movement of evangelical pastors who patted themselves inaccurately, I might add, after clergy during the American Revolution. The regiment's intention is to influence the government uh, to make America a Christian nation. Pastor Dave McKellen, a Black Robe Regiment leader in Phoenix, Arizona, recently described Jewish people as a wealthy group of people who didn't believe in heaven or hell, didn't believe in angels, and they had political control over everything. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who leads the Evangelical Reawaken America Tour, who, by the way, the Southern Baptist movement leaders have come out and distance themselves from the reawaken American tour, calling it unchristian Christian nationalism. And so he is inspiring, Michael Flynn is inspiring thousands of pastors to sign a pledge to become part of the regiment. And the Black Robe Regiment, as we've seen so far, has anti-Semitic roots. Recently in his speech in Virginia Beach, Flynn proclaimed, you cannot preach the Bible without the United States Constitution, period. Is, is that biblical to say something like that? No. I, I, what, I can't preach uh, the Bible as a pastor without lining it up uh, as a proof text with the United States Constitution? That's absurd. Flynn also has stated, so if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion, one nation under God and one religion under God. And this statement not only rejects the First Amendment's right to the free exercise of religion, but is a troubling example of Christian nationalism's historic propensity towards tyranny. So that is a tyrannical statement to say that we must have one religion in America under God. What does that mean? Christianity will be the main religion. And Judaism, for example, will be condemned and tossed out. Christian nationalist Nick Fuentes, who founded the America First Political Action Committee, recently proclaimed, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Jewish woman, didn't die last year so that Amy Coney Barrett, a Catholic woman, could be appointed to the bench, we would still have Roe vs. Wade. Now you tell me, says Nick Fuentes, that this is a Judeo-Christian country. You tell me that it doesn't matter that we have a lot of Jewish people in government. We need a government of Christians. 
Jewish people can be here, he says, but they can't make our laws. So this is extreme uh, roots being sown of tyranny right here in this country. That, what, are we going to remove all Jewish people from the public office? This is the first thing the Nazis did. They fired all Jewish professors from uh, teaching in college, and they uh, removed uh, Jewish lawyers and judges and doctors from their jobs. This is the roots of tyranny. And so uh, former President Donald Trump, a man who uses Christian rhetoric, embraces the Bible, but shows little or no Christian temperance, recently appealed to his Christian nationalistic base when he said, no president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. He also made a a dangerous veiled threat when he proclaimed that American Jews must get their act together before it's too late. So it's uncomfortable for Christians to think that over the centuries of time, they have willfully embraced tyranny for what they believe were just causes. But let's not forget that people of faith have been responsible for great evil in the name of Christianity. Think about the Crusades, the Inquisition, apartheid, and the Holocaust, to mention only a few of the more glaring acts of Christian nationalists who willingly created tyrants to carry out their aggression. Remember the words of Blaise Pascal, who accurately pointed out, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from a religious conviction. Or the harding words of Alexander Solzhenikin, who wrote in his book, The Gulag of Arc archipelago gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes but between political parties either but through every human heart and through all human hearts what he was saying is everyone has the propensity to do evil uh, i remember watching the eichmann trial in the uh, film of his trial in the 1960s in, in uh, Israel. And a man who had been beaten by Eichmann in the death camps, he, he walked in and when he saw Eichmann, he fainted. And they asked him, why did you faint when you saw Eichmann? And I'll give you the answer to that when we come back from the other side of the break. And so we'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. And there's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. 
To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler, again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel in You, and I want to answer this uh, question that I raised earlier. What did the What did the man say in the Eichmann trial? And again, this was a man. He was an inmate in Auschwitz, and when he came into the trial and he saw Eichmann, he uh, fainted. And when he came to, they asked him, you know, why did you faint when you saw Eichmann? And he said, you know, when I saw him earlier in the concentration camps, he was a monster. And when I saw him this time, he was just a small man that looked like everybody else. He, he wasn't so monstrous to me. And I realized when I saw him this time that Eichmann is in all of us. Famous quote, Eichmann is in all of us. And that goes along with Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote, that uh, the line separating good and evil runs through every human heart. So everyone has the propensity to do good or to do evil. And as Christian nationalists continue to rant against all that they oppose and also against Jews, blaming them for America's ills, they should look within and listen, something that my German friend Carl was unwilling to do, to the tyranny brewing in their movement. And if they do, they might just be courageous enough to say, we have met the enemy, and he is us. And thankfully, not all evangelical Christians have embraced the surreal and bizarre beliefs of Christian nationalism. There are some of us still uh, who value thinking for ourselves. And Christian nationalism is a religious cult. It is unchristian, but employs Christian concepts and discourse to deceive its followers. And those who serve up the Kool-Aid to the masses have sold out their Christian conscience to the seduction of power and position. In many cases, these deceptive leaders are not Christians, but realize that mixing religious idolatry with politics draws crowds. And at its core, Christian nationalism is a political ideology of protest. It's a revolt. Some would say an insurrection against anyone or any institution opposed to its fundamental belief that America's national destiny must be Christian, and it is a Christian's duty to persuade the government by force, if necessary, to return to Christian heritage. But Christianity was never meant to be a political ideology. 
Let me say that one more time. Christianity was never meant to be a political ideology, nor was the U.S. Constitution meant to become a Christian's rule for life and godliness, which many Christian nationalists like Michael Flynn actually believe. And again, he said, you can't preach the Bible without preaching the U.S. Constitution. And on the contrary, Christianity finds its purpose not in protest or politics or power, but through loving justice and showing mercy, especially to the poor. And though Christian nationalists have repeatedly attempted to legislate their ideology, they've always failed. And you would think that after centuries of these failed attempts, and again, consider the Crusades uh, or the Christian nationalists in Germany who created the final solution of eradicating European Jews to return Germany and the occupied territories to their Christian heritage by destroying Jews and Judaism, Christian nationalists would have learned by now that their lesson, their lesson but the seduction of power is apparently too tempting. Intolerance and rage against the outsider, the other, sells tickets and sell seats, and thinking Christians would never fall prey to the ludicrous ignorance and intolerance of Christian nationalism. And if they did, they would become disillusioned with the arrogant and angry cult of opposition after a while. And so we're really at a precipice within American Christianity, and it is a great burden within my heart that uh, Christians that have embraced this nationalistic idolatry of Christian nationalism, that they would start thinking for themselves. And they would be patriotic, yes, but not commit themselves to the evil ideology of tyrannical Christian nationalism. And I pray that Christians return to the centrality of the gospel. Uh, What's the centrality of the gospel? Jesus was born according to the scripture. He died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And my hope is that Christians will return to their Bibles rather than Fox News. And they would be salt and light in their generation. And I think a lot of Christians today have been so um, committed. I I heard of someone the other day said they went to visit uh, their parent and um, the parent just watches Fox News 24-7 all day long. They just sit in front. Of, so they're getting this steady stream of uh, news, but they've rejected their Bibles. And if, if you don't read your Bible, you're living on secondhand revelation. And you really have to have firsthand revelation. When I was a pastor, I, w- I would tell the congregation, what you're getting this morning is a secondhand revelation. God gave me this revelation as I studied the Bible this week uh, to feed the flock on Sunday morning. But for you, it's secondhand revelation. You need to be in your Bibles all week long so that you can have a firsthand revelation of what the Lord is speaking to you and your family. So remember that only the Holy Spirit can change human hearts, not political movements. And we cannot legislate morality. It doesn't work that way. Remember John the Baptist, when he sent his um, men to Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus said, go tell, tell John that the gospel is being preached to the poor. And so that, that is a, a role that every Christian should fulfill. The true religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. 
And my concern today is pulpits all across America have turned into bully pulpits and pastors are ranting and raving uh, against all who oppose their uh, ideology. And whoever doesn't support their political ideology, they rant and rave against. And there's a lesson from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.17. Peter said, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And you know when Peter wrote that? He wrote that when Nero was in power. And Nero was a perverted man. And he would tie Christians to stakes and uh, pour oil on them and light them on fire so that he could look at his gardens at night. What a, what a perverse man. And he also w- was having an affair with his own mother. And so and he was a tyrant against Christians. So Peter, at this time, he's writing, and what does he say? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so it's our role to honor the king. And, and Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.17, pray for kings and all those in authority. I, I was looking at an Awake America uh, crusade that was in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, again, I, I believe Amer- Awake America is, um, is uh, Christian nationalism. And it's anything but Christian. It's a political movement. And in this uh, meeting in San Antonio, Texas, in a church, by the way, um, the leader of Awake America, he held out his microphone and he had the thousands of people in attendance begin to shout expletives about the president of the United States. And I thought to myself, this is unchristian. And uh, because the scripture says, uh, honor all men, fear God, and honor the king. Pray for kings and all those in authority. And so it is our role as Christians to care for the poor, to preach the gospel, to be salt and light in our generation, not to you know, come out with bully pulpits, ranting and raving against all that we disagree with. Uh, we've got to move away from this political ideology that's sweeping many in the evangelical movement today. And finally, there, there are men coming out like, like James Robeson and saying, you know, this is enough. And it's hard to believe, but Christian nationalism has entered into the realm of the surreal. One Christian nationalist has gone so far as to declare that Donald Trump is the Christ. He writes, President Donald Trump is the Christ of this age, the son of King David. Prophecies of Jesus and all the prophets point to President Donald Trump as the son of man, the Christ. And this is absurd, but even more insane is the fact that Trump has consistently compared himself to Christ. In 2019, Trump shared tweets that proclaimed him as the king of Israel and the second coming of God. In late September 2022, Trump added a post from a user of his Truth Social account that declared, Jesus is the greatest, President Donald Trump is the second greatest. The post included an image of Jesus, and Trump retruthed in the connection to Jesus to his 4.1 million Truth Social followers. And there was no outcry from his base because to be on the bandwagon of Christian nationalism, one must give up the freedom to think for themselves. 
And so these are very concerning issues uh, in our country. And I pray that Christians will come back to the roots of their faith.